0: morning and welcome to Dateline New Haven on FM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. My favorite, one of our favorite guests in the whole city and, and public leaders in New Haven is with us this morning. And sometimes she's behind the headlines you don't see. Because you don't always see headlines about young people who do great in New Haven, become successful, build wonderful lives and families here back in the city where they grew up. And that happens a lot, and they don't become headlines, although sometimes they do for good accomplishments, because of Patricia Melton. Patricia Melton is the CEO of New Haven Promise, what began as a, as a wonderful universal scholarship program for public school students going to go into college. and has evolved into so much more uh, in terms of helping build a successful community in New Haven. And, and Patricia, thank you for coming in to Dateline New Haven. We love when you visit to tell us what's new with New Haven Promise.
1: Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here.
0: So that is the question. What's new with New Haven Promise?
1: Oh, my goodness. There is so much that's new. I mean, obviously, you probably heard about uh, that we will have an out-of-state component now for historical black colleges and universities.
0: Well, tell us a little more about this. Just so people know, if you keep a B, is it B average or C?
1: B average. You keep
0: a B average. You go to New Haven Public Schools. You keep it be average, average. You do some community service. Community you're going to get at least some, if not all, of your tuition paid in college if you go through New Haven promises. Right, you get a tuition
1: benefit to
0: in like, uh, state like to in state like UConn, Southern, Southern, yeah,
1: University of New Haven, Quinnipiac, and at, so that's Albert, how we have always Memphis. known
0: this. We've known this now for not about 15 years. Is the 12 program? 12 years? Is the probably feels longer. Twelve know, years, I've the program—it's such a part in New Haven, and <laughs> yes. uh, and so the um what well we until today whenever we talked about it, we talked about those in state colleges and that's that's a big focus of it, right? Yes. I mean, what you're talking about now is the way it's expanded in a really important way, which is historically black uh, colleges and universities and outside of Connecticut. Tell us about that.
1: Yes, I mean I I do want to distinguish that that is a, an additional option that is not just focused on New Haven Promise. Actually, we were approached by Yale to assist in providing information and data because we do track students. And and we saw that, you know, a good number of students were interested in historical black colleges, but many do not attend because of the expense. And so, um, you know, Yale in its uh, research around its its role historically and in terms of, um you know proceeds from slavery that the university may have benefited from benefited from uh, there was that the slavery working group but also what came to light is that New Haven had the opportunity to in fact have the first historical black college and university in the country and it was it was not taken up by the city there were in fact many who were against it at, protest the at the time I don't know if there were violent protests, but... but and wasn't it, Yale involved in the opposition? Well, I, I think Yale was involved in the opposition. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Yale approached us, and uh, obviously we have a lot of data about college attendance trends and, and whatnot, and, and so we were able to assist. So it's a it's a competitive scholarship that's really separate from Promise, but one of the requirements is that you have to be a Promise scholar.
0: So in other words, a scholar, a, a scholar meaning someone who's gone to New Haven Public School. Yes. And gotten that B-Average. B average Community yes. service project. And
1: 40 hours of community service. So That's
0: now, exactly I'm a little right. confused about the Yale thing. I saw this. They're giving yeah. people scholarship money not to go to Yale, but to go to an HBCU.
1: Well, it, it, it's for New Haven Public School students, right? And it's, it's, it's their uh, way of reckoning with uh their past i guess i was i i was not i did not sit on that but there's a lot online that you can read about it
0: so those students wouldn't yale want the really good students or i guess they're saying students might prefer to go to hbcus
1: well there are each year we fund about uh 750 it's dropped a little since covid students from new haven public schools to go to, like, 18 or 19 colleges and universities, all Mm in-state. So this will just, um, you know, add uh, roughly 10 to 12 students a year who would be going to uh, historical black colleges at this point. I've loved the debate
0: over HBCUs. Not debate, actually, because it's not really debate. I've loved the discussion about HBCUs. Mm -hmm. And being white, it's not my discussion, right? I'm always so interested in it. About how for some students, cause and obviously the answer is important is everybody has all the choices so they can know what's best for them. But mm-hmm. for some students, it's so important, very promises to be able to go to an HBCU, an environment that's supportive and culturally comfortable, so they can do their best. And for other students, it was so important in the '50s and '60s, that in '70s that we began knocking down the barriers. that still need to be knocked down, and now there's some new effort that's needed so that people have the choice, so that if you're a person of color and you're exceptional, you can go into exceptional college, and if you're just really smart, you get the same opportunity somebody else does, and that we integrate. And then other people have argued that HBCU suffered from integration because of some of their best students no longer went to HBCUs, but went to, like you, went to Yale, right? So like, yes. and if it were if you were born a generation earlier, you might not have gone to Yale. They might not have let you come, correct?
1: Right, I mean, there, there was one point where uh, women, Go that's to how Yale, I forgot women right? too. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I believe that's um, the same
0: issue women's colleges, right? Right.
1: Uh, I mean Yale. You, you have to look back and say, you know, what was Yale's history? And uh, it was for a certain class, gender, uh, maybe religious. Uh, you know, there were a lot of people who couldn't quote on Yale.
0: Jews. They had all stuff right, about how we right. weren't good so, for the uh, student body.
1: I look at that and I say, oh, you know, so that was historical Yale. Now you have contemporary Yale. And um, I, I think as folks look in this country and see there are still educational gaps for opportunity, you cannot deny the value that historical black colleges and universities bring. And there there are Hispanic-serving colleges, tribal colleges, and, um, you know, those Histories are pretty complex, but certainly historical black colleges uh, were there when, in fact, uh, black students were not allowed to go to just about any other institution. In fact, at one point, it was illegal to even educate a black person. And it's just so interesting about
0: how, to me, it was sort of like when we make progress, you have a new set of challenges. So how do we keep those HBCUs strong so that they can still play what's still such an important role when we also have to be sure to knock down the barriers that prevent equal access to other institutions, integrated
1: institutions. Absolutely. And so I, what I say is that historical, I mean, I did not attend a historical black college or university, but what's really interesting is the president of Morehouse, who is David, Dr. David Thomas, he was my freshman counselor. He, he, oh, he wow. went to Yale oh, wow. because his family... Uh, the cost of attending Morehouse, which was his number one choice, was exorbitant. And, and so, Yale was cheaper? And Yale gave him financial wow. aid, more financial that's aid. They, I mean, obviously, they have more financial aid. And that's probably still the case. I mean, we know it's it's just not historical black colleges. just the cost of college, regardless of institution, for just about every family is uh, a challenge. And I'm also
0: thinking like about how every student is different. You deal with this more than any individual in New Haven. You are, you know, face-to-face, tough conversations kids are having about their futures. You are with, you know, hundreds, 750 kids a year. They're not kids anymore by the time they leave, right? Mm-hmm. Are deciding where to go to college, to go to college and important. That's a really important choice. And I guess I'm interested what you have to think about the nuances of what ends up being best. So for, you, for your freshman counselor, it was really a financial decision. Yale was paying the freight instead of Morehouse. Yes. Are there other students you deal with, especially now you can have this opportunity where... You think, given your experience dealing with so many students, living it yourself, how to make that tough choice about, is it best to go to HBCU? Is it better to go to, a, to an Ivy League college?
1: Well, I, you sure, know, it's I,
0: fine. You're going to be fine either way, right? But
1: Well, you may or you may not, because, right. uh, as we know, the nature of accumulating uh, college debt has changed, and I don't know if you knew this, but uh, college loan debt cannot be discharged in bankruptcy court.
0: Well, I didn't in know other that. words, that's yeah. a
1: debt that you're going to carry to your grave. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, when you look at the disparities in income and wealth, it's a really important decision to make. I think what the Penitent Fellowship does is it really brings this choice Uh, at least back on the table as Mm. a choice that is viable without, you know, mortgaging (laughs) your future earning power.
0: You've told me something I hadn't even thought about, which is that what we think is the obvious way is it's going to cost you more to go to a Yale. In fact, it's the opposite sometimes. I mean, I haven't even thought about that part. Like if you'd rather go to Morehouse, you'd rather go to Spelman, but Yale, you're going to go for you're free get at yeah. a
1: historical, you know, uh, predominantly white institution that has endowment to subsidize that tuition. And there are many colleges; it's just not obviously historical black colleges. It, there are a lot of colleges out there that it's very difficult, which is why tuition is out of reach for so many.
0: Yeah, and we're talking to Patricia Melton knows more about the subject than anyone in New Haven because she's <laughs> the CEO of New Haven Promise was set 750 New Haveners of very varying, different academic levels to college to have that chance at a better life and then helps them not just go to college, but make it through. And then in so many cases, I think the number you had was 86% come back to New Haven and become viable members of our community, building families, getting jobs, building careers. Now toward that end, you have an event coming up next week. So you're not just saying, so long folks, have a good time at college you're saying come on back we want to make sure you have a summer internship and you know that's another right. thing that we learn that you know when you're in college those internships often are your foot in the door to a career
1: it's so, it's how you build that first uh resume and you know that's sort of the hidden curriculum that's not so obvious you know many of our students are first generation of college we we're a wonderful city welcoming you know all folk, all types of folks here where they can build a life including immigrants we're a sanctuary city and as you know the promise scholarship is available to any resident regardless of immigration status and so yes new haven is a wonderful place to raise a family to afford college and so uh because we do have a high percentage of first generation to college students low income about 75 percent of our students 70 and 75 percent, their family household income is under 60 and half of those are under $30,000 a year. But for many of them, they're not coming from white collar backgrounds and they do believe and not because they're unintelligent, uh, because they don't know that part of going to college is certainly the academic component but also the soft skills, teamwork, you know, learning technology, how to how to communicate, how to problem solve. And that's what all the sort of co curriculars are about. Like I would be interested in knowing. Did you write on the School newspaper? Did you know that you wanted to be? I know a, I wanted
0: to be a reporter. Okay, and so did first you do things paper in college? And then I went to register New Haven Advocate. Yeah, that's right. And you did yeah. things
1: in in college that made that yeah. transition into the workforce easy for you, or easier, or set you up Open to be. Open the door. It opened the door. Well, those those uh, variables have not changed. Without experience, without uh, sort of uh, building, you know, having experience in a paid internship. It's very difficult for scholars to just make that transition, and, and it was a natural move for us in 2014 when we started interacting with our scholars, and we we saw that they weren't getting internships, they weren't starting early oh, enough. You saw that. Then yeah. we said, and the reason this you saw is that something. is you you
0: personally. Something so impressed me about you, Patricia. You personally speak to. Is this still true? So many of the students, when they're in college, they've been in promise. You check in with them, and because you'd been in college yourself and you had to make a transition and deal with stuff that wasn't as easy, right? That you knew what what they might be going through and what the the help they might need to stay on track. Is that true?
1: Absolutely.
0: So, this what impressed me. I went, it's been years since I've been to one of these. So, next week on Wednesday at two o'clock, you have one of these fairs for college students to talk to employers who are going to offer. Um, and you get a lot of people there. Do you still? I went there years ago. Well,
1: we've been virtual. Uh, Obviously, we did take a hit, but we we still maintained. We just had fewer internships and some hybrid. Uh, But last summer, we weren't completely back to where we were pre-COVID, but we placed about 130 students in paid internships. We were on track to place about 200 in paid internships before COVID hit. So Mm -hmm. now this will be our first uh, back face to face fair, uh, which the last time we had a face to face fair was in uh, two thousand twenty, January, because you remember mm-hmm. COVID where everything was shut down, hit So in Wednesday, March.
0: two o'clock Commons in New Haven, which yeah, now is Schwartzman, Schwartzman Center. Schwartzman. Yeah. Okay, I'll leave that <laughs> it,
1: it's now Commons at Schwartzman <laughs>
0: Center. So we're we gonna become so it's no longer we're no longer live in New Haven at Yale. We live in New Haven at Yale at Schwartzman.
1: Right? Yes. <laughs>
0: So you get all the employees Beautiful in the room. Beautiful
1: facility, by the way.
0: I was blown away when I went to your last one. It was the Yale Archive because there were so many employees of different kind of places. There was the Haven Hospital if you want to go into healthcare. There was mm-hmm. Ronell Higgins pushing the, the Yale police, you know, as a career where they want college grads policing their community. You had tech companies, if I'm not mistaken, yes. they were there as well. So what kind of and this is another strength you bring to this job is that you're all over town. You know, people in the streets and suites and you really get decision makers to commit. To participating what kind of people are you going to have at this
1: very similar I mean we we have folks who show up I mean obviously Yale is the the leader uh, they're the number one employer in the city so we have all sorts of departments we will probably have about 30 uh, different hiring managers from various they Yale are the biggest employer in town so yes yeah, yeah. they really are and they hire more of our students and have more internships than anyone else uh, just because they're sure size But we do have, you know, uh, others, you know, Arts and Ideas, uh, the city of New Haven, New Haven Public Schools, which is in dire straits to attract, uh, you know, more students and and more citizens into education. Um, uh, There are uh, a number of different, um, you know, organizations that will be there.
0: And uh, and you know it's interesting to me as well. Some this might be a little different from in the past. Is there was always a need to find talented people to fill skilled jobs, mm-hmm. even when we didn't have the situation of now, when there's a shortage, which is easing, you know, for hire. People having a hard time finding people to work. But now I think it's much more pronounced, if I'm not mistaken, that employers that that employers are really looking for educated, skilled people to fill posts. They really need to invest extra effort in getting someone who's going to be a good medium to long-term employer, employee, someone who has the tools to learn the jobs. And is that true? Are you seeing that? Are you seeing more enthusiasm among people saying, uh, Patricia, can you help us get some interns or anything like that? Or is it still like you're asking them?
1: Well, no, I, I, I think employers do have some needs. I mean, the whole ecosystem has changed, right? Uh, I, I think what we see is that there is uh, certainly a shortage. The birth rate is is down, and that means that there are just fewer young young folks. Um, and then you have the great resignation. Um, you know, those folks are retiring. Who I have- call
0: it the liberation. That you weren't a total surfer. You'd have some crummy job <laughs> where they take advantage of you and, and you, get, you get some choice. Yes,
1: yeah. well, I, I think COVID has certainly changed the awareness uh, of workers' rights and, um, you know, it's just, it, it's it's a different ball game right now. And so... What I find for our, our scholars are pretty savvy. Uh, They're, you know, come from activist families. They're, they're just not going to go into any job. They're not going to take the jobs that you and I took where we just had to take it. Not to say that the, the, the culture of the work world was toxic or any such thing. It's just, I, I do believe that the, it's an employee's market and and our scholars have come up in a you know in a time when they are very interested in work life balance they're very interested in very positive work culture they're interested in diversity because Connecticut is no longer most of the workers who are coming into the workforce now are not white caucasian european they're, they're really black and brown, uh, you know, mostly Hispanic, but, you know, a very strong black population, immigrant population. And that is just going to change the nature of what employers will have to do to make their places welcoming.
0: Which makes more than ever the case that New Haven promised the scholarship and follow through program is that bridge.
1: Absolutely. That
0: connects this workforce and the employers who need find the right people and connect the right people and we're talking about that on Dateline New Haven with Patricia Milton, CEO of New Haven promise Patricia, were you talking about this a little before we went on the air a big party job over the years has been follow through helping students who go to a new environment they've lived in New Haven their whole year as you said a majority of them lower income many of them first time going to college and helping them succeed and talk to them about what challenges they're facing what have you noticed since the pandemic? What, you know, all over the country in you know, so many different ways, different sectors, mental health has become just off the charts as a problem, a challenge for people. Um, what What are you noticing and how we're now in the third year of the pandemic as it is easing somewhat, you know, for quite a bit. What What are you noticing the students? What kind of advice you have to give them? The kind of challenges they're coming to you with?
1: Well, I, I think what we see is, that, uh, you know, income, there are huge disparities uh, along the lines of income. Our scholars who many of their parents were on the front line uh, when it came to COVID, uh, they had to go to work, so there were higher infection rates, uh, higher risk factors. Uh, many of them were hit in terms of their income, you know, in terms of, you know, what, what, uh, or... What businesses closed down, and there were a lot here in New Haven that closed down. So, as I said before, we have we don't see that we're back to normal. There is not going to be a back to normal. Remember, you That's and
0: I went re- 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 up on Whitney Avenue pretty early in the pandemic when it was that that sort of post apocalyptic feel, like where did everyone go? Everyone like the buildings it, were standing, the was, humans were killed were, by the neutron no bomb. There were I no remember cars. There we were like, How are we adjusting I, to this, Leah? Like, uh,
1: there were no cars i yeah. you know i kept going to my office which is very close to worcester square and i'm over in the arts district and it it was that eerie feeling there was just no cars yeah. none uh but our you know our families many of them their families were working retail uh, you know if they worked in restaurants that was completely closed down you know uh so what we see is we still have very lingering effects. I mean, we see that in New Haven public schools, not to call them out. But it's like but schools elsewhere, people bouncing uh, off the walls. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a huge chronic absenteeism. Um, there, There are some serious lingering issues. And as I talk to other nonprofit leaders, I'm hearing... The same disparity around what's happening, particularly with black families and hispanic families uh that things are not back to normal so which, where
0: do you step in and where does promise step into this? Obviously it's not up to you to solve, but what role do you play
1: well uh, we we did remain open we we remained available, making more calls uh continuing our programming, checking in with folks um i I think that uh, customer service, being there for folks made, made a huge difference. And we worked very closely with our higher ed institutions, you know, UConn, Yale, um, you know, Quinnipiac, UNH, to track those students very closely. And, and if they were, um, you know, having difficulty loosening our guidelines to be responsive to this extraordinary time. So I think that that is what has really served us well, I think the challenges going forward will be focused on because people still are struggling. Those populations are struggling. And we have to think of new strategies of how to connect them that you you, you still need to network. You, you still need to come to the fair because the experience you have on your resume during college will make the difference with you getting that plum entry-level job. Connections still matter and networking still matters. And um, I talk to all my professional friends and they're extremely busy working. You know, it, it's as if people are trying to make up. These businesses are trying to make up for the revenue that they lost. And uh, our scholars have to be ready. They're, they're not going to get a break. They're just going to be expected to perform. So our programming like resume writing, interviewing skills how to self-manage, because if it's a hybrid position, they need to know that you will be able to get that job done and not have to have someone managing you maybe the way it was before, pre-pandemic. So there are more responsibilities that our scholars have to live up to and we have to get them there. It's not just going to happen, you know, like, through magical thinking. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's not a spectator sport. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Patricia CEO of New Haven Promises here on Dateline New Haven, WNHH, 103.5 M live streamed on org. Patricia, I, I ran into you recently at the Yale Club, which I'd never been to. They had mm-hmm. a lunch. Someone invited me at the Long Club. which was turned out to be very interesting. Josh Chabals, a former governor aide who has been brought to um, have Yale ramp up in a big way its investment in cooperation, local tech. Startups, getting startup companies, and they're doing all this investment already. And he talked about all these jobs they need to get New Haven people into and how we're we going to get them. And you stood up, well, I have hundreds of people for you, I think you said, at least hundreds. You said I 800. Said I have 800 people for you. You didn't <laughs> call me. We have a job. We have an internship fair coming. Come on down. Any follow-up on that? Because Because the, yes, guy, the guy he... really liked hearing from you that you spoke up. He said, you know, I really want to connect. What we're doing with Yale Investing and in Startups and connecting that to, to New Haveners.
1: Right. I mean, I think uh, it it was exciting to hear about uh, what he is uh, sort of spearheading here. He talked about life sprints, which uh, was a uh, program that was to attract students here uh, for internships in the biosciences. But what I shared is that we had no placements. We certainly uh, sent students uh, to life sprints. I, I think they've never heard it, of this
0: life. It, it was,
1: it's like the biosciences uh, companies like Alexion, Pfizer, but many startups oh, as well. Oh Yeah. We went that to the lab, need through the help. Chamber. And as we know, the biosciences. But they're not connected
0: a, to the actual human beings they think they want to reach. That's where they need you, right?
1: Right. Uh, you know, uh, I think I observed that they did hire students, but many of those students were not local. They were uh, from someplace else. Uh, they had to help them with housing. And I'm saying, but I don't understand. We have students who live here. You wouldn't have had to help them with housing. And they're likely to stay. You know, they're going to stay. 86% of our students want to stay right here. and, and So
0: what's going to be the follow through?
1: So... Um, we are going to be working more closely. Josh is actually going to work with us and help us to penetrate that market, help all, you know, life friends to also, I think, maybe understand what does it take to, to recruit? You can't recruit. In the, if you do the same thing, you're going to get the same result, right? If you're planning to be in New Haven, which really is a model city in terms of diversity, you, you cannot have a company that's going to be all white. It's just not going to work. Um, So uh, if you're serious about, you know, really serving the citizenry here, then you have to work with community based organizations like New Haven Promise. We have we have the entry level talent that's diverse Mm -hmm. uh, and we've been doing this. The internship fair is in its 10th year. So I, I think my job and, you know, our alumni council, which is where we're developing our young leaders, is to hold uh, these bioscience, you know, startups uh accountable because uh their workforce is is actually going to come from from mostly us. And uh, they will have meet, they been there in the past at your fairs? Well, uh last year was the first year uh of this um uh, sort of life sciences collaborative. And I know the chamber Uh, has gotten some money from the state to, you know, have these sector partnerships and we're 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 working with them. But, you know, the way I like to really have some parity is, you know, we need funding to do this work. We've been doing the work and now we would like to be funded for doing the work. (laughs) <laughs> of of what folks are saying that they want. They want a diverse workforce. Well, well, here we are. All these students are going to college just like students have gone to college for decades. Mm-hmm. And the the only difference here in our organization is they're black and brown kids. So I don't expect to see mm-hmm. any stats any different from <laughs> the majority. And if it is, it's, it's my job to ask tough questions. And it's also our young activists, uh, scholars and alums are going to ask those tough questions. Like Alex Cousine, who's an alder, he's going to be asking some tough questions. Who came up through Promise? Who came up through Promise? And and in fact, he was at a resume writing workshop. So you know, I I think it's you know there's an incredible there's incredible talent here, uh, but there are some challenges, and I think uh, our companies that are saying that they want to. To work here and live here and be a great citizen needs to understand what those challenges are and to work directly with us I we don't need an intermediary we know Mm -hmm. what we're doing so I expect them to work directly with us and not through intermediaries because we have a lot of wisdom as you said we've been talking to these scholars and their families we're there every step of the way our youngest our oldest scholars alums are just hitting 30 They're buying homes, they're paying taxes. In fact, we've done that analysis and by 23rd, uh, by uh, 2024, we'll have, you know, roughly uh, almost uh, about 2,500 scholars who are already graduated and they will be spending what we call scholar dollars. That means they will be (laughs) buying homes they scholar will be getting dollars. mortgages. You're good at those phrases. They will, dollars, you know, scholar that, dollars. They will be that's going that's to that. graduate school at UNH and and whatnot. And over their lifetime, our scholars, you know, will pump in almost five and a half billion dollars in uh, revenue to this economy. Now, if that's not economic development, I, I don't want to hear about, I mean, obviously the developers, they're getting theirs right now. But what I want to know is what economic development plan do you have for human capital? Mm-hmm. Because a building without people in it is just a building, <laughs> right? So, uh, so I ask those very tough questions And, um, you know, and, and so we're, we're going to be a little bit louder about that. Economic development needs to mean investment in talent because that is what will drive our economy in perpetuity. And the way
0: you want, as you want them to touch more base directly with the group of 750 a year, New Haveners who are succeeding, getting college, coming out, and by, you're looking for more of a commitment to deal directly with hiring people from new haven people of Absolutely. color for these new businesses that are starting up yes all right patricia melton 10 years in you know it's interesting when you said that after a certain point you built up this organization you have been so successful you're you're associated with it after a certain time the time becomes fungible sort of like oh you might have been here patricia 30 years you might i mean <laughs> who, who the heck knows you're That's there so like you stop thinking about <laughs> it you know what i mean do you see yourself being here a long time
1: well, uh, More, you I like mean, that. I am going to retire at some point. You but, see, going here until you retire? Uh, I can see. I think the nature of my work will change. I mean, we still have many things to achieve with Promise. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to diversify our funding. We've had great funding from obviously Yale, Yale, New Haven Health, the Community Foundation. But, uh, and, and I will say that, you know, we have a nice, a uh, group of funders, the corporate world is starting to step up because we are really helping them to see how they can support that. In fact, them supporting these scholars, uh, you know, really is return on investment for them in terms of their bottom line. So we we still have a little work to do in that area in terms of really generating activities that will be revenue producing. We're just starting to do that. We have a wonderful new hire, John Miller, who's uh, head of our strategic business partnerships and development, uh, probably, I don't want to put a time on it, but um, you know, maybe four or five years, it, it may be time for one of our scholars to take my place. Oh,
0: okay. And what, what in that time, what are you going to look at? What do you hope you can be able to say? What are you going to see in five, four or five years? We'll have a nice uh,
1: diverse funding base. We will have some fee for service, you know, i uh, businesses will understand just just like they pay for all different types of services uh that this is something that needs to be invested in and is a renewable you know revenue source um and and we're you know we're sustainable we're we're really not there i mean you know no one's gonna let promise fail (laughs) No, but uh you, you know we need to develop that model a little bit you know, it needs to be developed a little bit more. What we're no you... longer an infant, no. but we're we, we're not quite at adulthood. That's so funny. Yet. I
0: think of it as, you know, it's sort of like there was a little controversy <laughs> at the beginning. Then you came to town. And it was like, it's under control. You know how we kind of think that way? Well, that's under control. We're going to think about something else. We got a promise. But you're right. You have to keep doing that hard work to help people succeed, get the money coming in, changing circumstances that you adapt to, what's happened to the economy and the workforce. Yeah, like, leadership it's changes. It's so interesting, Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, nonprofits. You you have to raise that money every oh, I year. I know about that actually. Yeah. yeah what do. Uh, what do you
0: do for fun? You ride your bike. Well, yes, I'm a you big You were a biker. track star in your youth. You still run?
1: No, not really. <laughs> I just run from building appointment to appointment.
0: <laughs> but you ride but, that bike a lot. You pretty but serious.
1: But I I love to to ride my bike, which is great because this is such a wonderful city that's developing out. It's biking lanes, so I bike the Farmington Canal Trail. That's a nice trail. And uh, they're doing a massive project to bring the trail up onto what is that? Uh, it's not Elm Street; it's Grove. Yeah. Um, and so that that's right behind my so office. So weird. They built
0: that on that corner. They built that whole interchange on the sidewalk, and then they kind of stopped. Like, did you notice how all that stuff went in about three months ago? Caddy corner yes. to the apartments. I wonder what that was
1: about. Yeah. Well, they well the trail is going to come up because they couldn't go through or under. The FBI building. Right. So no, that's why they the, built that
0: above ground. Yeah, the, so it's they're like going to, it's going to be above
1: downs. ground down to Long Wharf. And so the trails will be on the street. But, you know, right there behind where the Arts Council is, you will be able to go down right. onto the Farmington Canal. And then, and, you know, no vehicles will be down there and you can ride for miles and miles all the way up to Massachusetts. Although
0: you did just make a commitment not to be moving on your bicycle, but to sit in a chair for hours at a time. As a member of the new Charter Revision Commission, you've been appointed, among with other city leaders, to try to figure out once every 10 years how we should change what's our constitution, the charter, should the mayor have four terms, should people have to live in the city for certain jobs, and I know you haven't yet gotten to the nitty-gritty, you don't have a position yourself on anything, how are you feeling about the challenge in general, why are you doing this, and what are you hoping will happen?
1: Well, I I will say that I I did, I was here when the last charter was renewed and it was a massive overhaul, I guess. I was very interested. Um, I was, you know, I'm interested in learning about the city. I feel as if what we're doing is we're really preparing uh, the sort of the heirs of the city, which are our scholars. They're going to move into positions of leadership, civic engagement, and this is a way that I can uh, educate myself so that I can be better prepared to be a steward of that process. Promise can be better prepared to be a steward of that process.
0: Plus, a- I'm a citizen. And you're a civic leader.
1: I well, you see your role broadly
0: when I listen to you. That's I'm, what I'm hearing. I do. I have a specific job to do, and I'm part of a larger community where we're all needing to work
1: together. Right. I've been here. I've lived in Worcester Square on Olive and Court for 10 years. In in the same, you know, walk up. It it is a great neighborhood. Uh, You have stayed, you know, and I've watched. You know, it's amazing. Just even in Worcester Square, there's been like four or five developments. Like thousands of people are going to be moving in there. Game changer. It's it it really. I mean, I'm excited because I grew up in a very large city. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and and this is much smaller, but um, much. It's it's like any citizen can have their hand and be engaged and so i love that process
0: well i'm so glad you're here in new haven i'm so glad you came on to New line how do people get involved in uh promise
1: how new they haven. can go to our new website landing page and learn about us at uh, newhavenpromise.org if you just google it newhavenpromise.org it will come up and you can just put your information in there. Join our newsletter. We always need volunteers, folks to mentor our scholars, the young people in this city. We work very closely with New Haven Public Schools. So enough. There are enough ways to get involved with New Haven Promise and our partner organizations.
0: And worth getting involved in. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming in. Always so great. And inspiring to talk to you.
1: Thank you. It's so always much good wonderful is going to come on. here. You have
0: big hand in that. And thank you, Harry Drose, station manager, getting us on more platforms that exist in the multiverse. We're going to take it out with the new with the Afro-Semitic experience, performing "I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free" from the group CD "A Plea for Peace." This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day, all night, and all weekend long. WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.